Welcome to the Sacred Feminine Power podcast, where we explore the many facets of feminine power and why it is so important for women and for men to step into this power in our world at this time. This is Emmy from Feminine Revered, and my magical guest for today is Marguerite Igalioso. Marguerite is the founding director of Seven Sisters Mystery School and scholar and practitioner of the ancient Mediterranean, Mediterranean mystery traditions. As a teacher and mentor, she works with people privately to help them cultivate their unique spiritual path and sacred careers. She also teaches on pioneering spiritual topics, born of both academic research and spiritual insight. And in 2020, her courses are focusing on the Mother Mary Mystery Teachings and the Holy Womb Chakra Teachings. Marguerite holds a master's and doctorate in philosophy and religion from the California Institute of Integral Studies. And as a mystery practitioner, she regularly explores expanded states of consciousness and higher dimensional realities. She's the author of two evolutionary books on divine birth as an authentic practice of sacred women. Welcome, Marguerite. Thank you, Emmy. It's so lovely to be here. Oh, it's such a blessing to have you with us. And I am super excited to learn from you, from you today and to hear more about the work that you've been doing for quite some time now. Oh, now yes, so I always like to start since my podcast is called Sacred Feminine Power, with this question, what does sacred feminine power mean to you? Mm. Um, to me, it, it has to do with a few things. Uh, one is it has to do with working on your own healing because we all generally have wounds that have accrued either in this or past lives. And so coming into a real deep engagement with one's own um, healing of those emotional wounds is very, very critical for empowerment for women and for anyone, because that's the foundation. Without that, we end up kind of doing what's sometimes known as a spiritual bypass, where we are quite bright. Um, either intellectually or spiritually, but emotionally, our emotional bodies are crying out for attention, healing, grounding, and love. So I think um, feminine power has to do with being a, a woman who's focusing on her healing. And from there, um, it has to do with sovereignty, knowing when and how to gracefully set boundaries with other people and other spiritual beings or spirit entities. Um, such that it's clear what is allowed in your space and what is not allowed in your space. You get to be the master of, of your own domain. And I think that the third aspect of feminine power has to do with opening to your intuition, really allowing um, yourself to connect with your intuitive messages and even cultivate that practice. And um, in the past, I have taught about how to do that. I still have an ongoing course called the Priestess of the Dove Oracle Training, the level one, so that you can really receive the messages from your goddess self and from your other spiritual helpers and highest ancestors. So I would say, you know, emotional um, sovereignty, intuition, 
And then finally, physical. It's um, connecting with your body in a sacred way that is giving yourself good nutrition, having some level of exercise and, and uh, knowing how to communicate and be out in nature. I think if a woman is able to cultivate and get all of those things in order and, and do her best to really develop all those things, that's what leads to feminine empowerment. Mm. I really resonate with all of that and especially the, the wound work, which is also the foundation of, the, of, the, of a lot of the work that I'm putting out there in the world. Mm -hmm. And I love the concept of sovereignty and being the master of your own domain. That's beautifully put. Yeah, and that's something that, that a lot of us are cultivating, especially now in this time of challenge. Um, you know, that's a big, uh, a big topic. How do we remain sovereign in the face of global controls and, you know, other energies that are getting in on the act and so forth? When do we say yes and when do we say no? Mm, absolutely. And that might be something I'll want to ask you more questions a little bit later on as well, because I have a feeling that you'll have a lot to offer to our listeners in that <laughs> field. Yes. Now, but before we go there, I would love to hear from you about a challenge that you may have faced in your life that's really helped you to activate that sacred feminine power within you and on your life's path. Yeah, well, you know, for me, the, the most primary and core challenge was the loss of my mother when I was 10 years old. Mm. She had lupus, which is an autoimmune disease, and she died of complications due to that when she was 39. And I had two younger brothers. Um, nobody was really prepared for that kind of thing. Could even We never even realized that somebody could die from that, but she started taking a worse and worse turn over the last year of her life. And that was a huge shock and an initiation um, first and foremost into the death realms mm. and the other side. I mean, my 10 year old body, mind, spirit was trying to grapple with what had happened to her. Where had she gone? Has she just been completely annihilated or had she just gone somewhere else that wasn't with me. Either way, the answer wasn't a good one, you know? And so um, it set me on a kind of a philosophical quest that didn't really emerge until later in my 30s and 40s and, you know, beyond. Um, so it also led to um, then a second family kind of situation where there were quite a number of challenges. Um, Behavior on the part of caretakers was not what it could have been. Behavior on the part of additional children in the family was not what it could have been. And there was a lot further wounding that happened through that. So um, it took me decades, and you know, it's still an ongoing process of healing around all of that. But when I started realizing, or embracing the idea that I heard in my 20s that we, we choose our parents for mm -hmm. the soul lessons that we're going to learn. Um, we may even choose the life that we know we're going to have or that we're likely to have, at least with certain possibilities. And that really made me start thinking, wow, why would I have chosen this? And then that combined with 
the personal healing that I was attempting to do through various therapists, psychotherapy, and and various other um, modalities, and then my entry into the world of spirituality, particularly through women's spirituality and the goddess movement back in the late 90s, um, all of that, you know, I started putting it together, and then, then I... I opened to the realm of using sacred medicines um, for ceremonial purposes. And as I began seeing things from that perspective in the other dimension, and then in, in this dimension, I started realizing that there's the concept of karma and that we all have karma that we are healing or releasing oftentimes from many, many lives. And this lifetime, the 2012 people, you know, we are on that timeline of 2012, is an opportunity to release a great deal of karma. So this journey of, of self-exploration led me into my own shadow. You know, what kind of karma might I have had that I would end up in a lifetime with um, a dying mother and abuse, you know? Mm. And so when I was able to move through a lot of that and acknowledge and embrace what I've been capable of in, in some of my past lives, both on and off planet. And um, I'm assuming at least some of your listeners, Emmy, might be open to that concept. But, Absolutely. you know, that was a biggie for me. Yeah, like uh, understanding my lives off planet and some of the not so friendly groups um, and things that I had contributed to. I just realized, wow, I've just been on a journey of soul discovery. And I didn't go through any of those lives or this one, because I've been a bad person, it's that my soul deeply needed to learn certain lessons. And some of the lessons that have come from healing um, from the loss of a mother, uh, you know, include understanding grief, you know, knowing what it is to go through grief and loss and abandonment, Mm -hmm. really understanding those in very deep ways. And then, um, Humility has been a lesson for me as well. I mean, I was born with great gifts, and I think that I had lifetimes in which I was an empowered person, but I may have misused that power. So I've had like a reset of using power, I hope, appropriately in this lifetime. I mean, um, you know, <clears throat> the the line between confidence and humility is always a, a tricky one, you know. But And then truly understanding, you know, coming to understand more and more about the realms of death, the realms of spirit, um, the realms of health and healing. Why would my mother have had that condition? And then finally, only recently, I've been able, I've been doing this practice with her. That's part of the Holy Womb Chakra practices that I'll be teaching later this year in September, um, where you work with your mother's photo and you converse with her and you come to peace with her. And it's almost like this is the first time I've really redeveloped a relationship with her. So it comes back again and again in, in these spirals uh, of healing. So I would say that, you know, it just it just sort of stunned me into dealing with all these concepts of karma and the other domains of reality. And, and that has been grist for my mill and food for my belly for for decades now. And um, it, it has fed me 
um, and led me to become um, somebody who wants to, to heal, help others to heal and to teach others about these understandings and domains as well. So it, it really led me on the path of who I need to be. And recently, a friend of mine and I were in a, a Mama Cacao ceremony together and she said, I'm feeling your mother come in and what I'm seeing is that she did not want to leave you. She mm. was not in favor of it, but she realized that she had to sacrifice her connection with you in order for the path that she was being shown that you needed and were mm. to go on. And that was the first time any practitioner at any had even said anything like that to me or, or I'd gotten any inkling because I thought, well, maybe she just wanted to leave. Maybe it was, it was just too much for her, this life. There were a lot of challenges she was having. Maybe she just never wanted to have kids and it was all just too much. And so that for the first time gave me a different perspective. And in doing this eye gazing practice with my mother, you know, I did say, let's be in communication now, you know, let me, let me, let's hear more from one another. And then boom, you know, two weeks later, um, my friend is telling me this in this ceremony. So I, I thought, well, perhaps the, the reconnection has really activated. So that's where I am and a little bit of, of what that extreme life challenge um, has fostered in me. Mm, that's very powerful. Thank you for sharing so openly about that and giving us um, a greater understanding of the karmic cycles that we are in and what we can learn when we start to delve deeper into the challenges that we're facing and what they can be teaching us. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Now, you've already started mentioning and going into my next question a little bit already. <laughs> Would you please mind expanding what, what you feel is really the divine meaning or the, the gift in that challenge that you faced as a 10 year old and then later on in life as well? Well, you know, sometimes the kiss of death is the greatest blessing. Mm. And it's a, it's a kind of a love bite of the most intense kind. And again, it opened me to all those domains uh, that I described, understandings of the other side, explorations into the other side and my path as a, as a teacher and as a cosmonaut of the domains beyond the visible. Mm. So I think that that is one thing that, that it gave me and also um, a greater sense of compassion for others than I, than I may have had in past lives. And that, that is still an area for me of development, compassion because I tend to be a bit of a warrior and a, you know, a firebrand and an evolutionary spirit. And you have to have that chutzpah in order to bring forth your mission of awakening. But, um, you know, what I'm learning from Mother Mary is the heart, the aspect of the heart that needs to be cultivated. So that's what I'm leading myself into at this point is the work with the heart, which I think is also a global work. It's the moving from the third chakra to the fourth. Mm, beautiful. Well, let's stay on the topic of Mother Mary a bit more. Uh, I know that you are 
well versed in in Mother Mary mystery teachings and. Uh, as you know, I also have a very strong connection to her, so I would love to hear more from you in terms of how you how how it was that you came to find Mother Mary or how she found you perhaps, and how your work with her has evolved over the years yeah, I was delighted emmy to to find out about your connection to her i 'm often surprised to hear that women say, "Oh, I love Mother Mary or I have a relationship with Mother Mary." Um, in a way, I have sort of assumed that many ev evolutionary and hip women would not want to have anything to do with Mother Mary because of how she's been portrayed. But come to find out, um, many people who are outside of, you know, Christian doctrine really do have that relationship with her. And, and that is something that has cultivated in me over time. You know, I, was, I grew up Catholic. So she was kind of there, but kind of not there. You know mm -hmm. how it is in the New yeah. Testament. There's a couple of mentions of her, and they they rely on her for the whole enterprise of the of the religion. But they never really, you know, any of the books that were about her were excised from the canon. Um, you know, and and so we don't hear much about her unless you poke into the apocryphal gospels, the ones that were rejected. Um, by various councils or perhaps even written after these councils had made their decision or compiled later. But they contain a, a tremendous amount of fascinating information about Mother Mary. I would say the first time I started reawakening to her was when I first reawakened to the goddess back in my early 30s. And there were um, some programs going on in the Boston, Cambridge, Massachusetts area that I was attending. And through that, I became fascinated with, with the goddess. And in one of them, in one of those programs, they were talking about Mother Mary. And, you know, I had never really thought of her as a goddess, really, <laughs> in the mm -hmm. sense that I was looking for. But so my attention got turned toward her. But I really had to go through years of, um, I think, working with some of my past life memories around some of the other goddesses that I was attracted to, namely the ones of the Greek pantheon, um, followed by the Egyptian pantheon. Those were the two main, and then sometimes the Celtic, early Celtic, or British Isles pantheons. Those were the main ones that were intriguing me and pulling my imagination. And I needed to do a lot of reclamation for myself and for others about those goddesses. But then when I entered the California Institute of Integral Studies in 1999, one of my mentor teachers there, Charlene Spretnak, taught a course on Mary. And she had a real devotion to Mary. And that was like the first kind of modern, hip, intellectual woman who had this connection to Mary. And I learned a lot more about Mary in that course. And I realized, okay, you know, bookmark this, right? Goddess to, goddess to check into. Now, already though, back in my 20s when I was still living in the Boston, Cambridge area, um, I was turned on to Mary Magdalene, okay? Mm. And one thing I've been given to understand is that Mary Magdalene needed to be unveiled first for women because 
she's a little more accessible to, to women. She's sort of the woman who ascended, right? Whereas Mary was like the goddess from on high who came down <laughs> somehow. And um, Magdalene, you know, is more like every woman or what's possible for every woman. Plus she had the more obvious connection to possible sexuality as uh, these early books were discovering by Margaret Starbird and um, the moon under her feet, you know, channeled and researched books. And then there were a whole slew of scholarly books about her repressed gospel, the gospel of Mary, and then these um, excerpts, little fragments of suppressed gospels that she may have been Jesus' wife. Certainly she was one of his closest companions, that he kissed her. So everybody's imagination started with that. And I started teaching about her way before the Da Vinci Code movie came out, which was kind of like a pivotal turning point. And I even taught a whole course on her at Dominican University of California when I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And then, um, you know, over the last few years, well, let's put it this way. When I was writing my doctoral dissertation, I graduated in essentially 2007. My doctoral dissertation was all about divine birth as an actual practice of priestesses. Mm. I focused on ancient Greece, but of course, it led immediately to Mother Mary. And I had wanted to include at the time a whole chapter on Mother Mary in my dissertation, but it was just becoming so long that I put it aside. But then I taught the course that you're, you're uh, taking that course now, um, Mary Conscious Priestess of Divine Birth. And I would occasionally give lectures on this where I was presenting the material that I otherwise would have put in the, the chapter. And so it's such potent, powerful information. And so um, when it came time to, in, in 2019, I left the Bay Area and after 20 years living there, I got rid of almost everything possession, put the rest in a small storage unit and the rest in my car and went on a writing pilgrimage uh, starting, you know, March 31st, 2019. And on March 20, March 31st, 2020, I got my book contract for my next book on Mother Mary as a high priestess of divine birth mm. with inner tradition. So that will be coming out in 2021, that book. And it's titled Mary and the Art of Miraculous Conception. Wow. And it's about looking at her repressed, her suppressed gospel, which is called the Infancy Gospel of James, which originally was called the Birth of Mary. And this is where all the material that was part of the panels of paintings you would see in churches and the feast days of Mary. And you're like, where was that ever written down? We never hear about these feast days or the presentation at the temple. What is all that, you know? Well, it's all in that gospel, which was rejected by the Galatian decree, thrown on the junk heap, said this is not a legitimate uh, gospel. We're not going to give it credence. But of course, it's where all the material is about Mary and her mother, Anne, who gave birth to her divinely. Mm. Uh, and, and the priestesses of divine birth in that whole cadre. So, you know, when it, when it came time to, and I had begun working with Mother Mary a couple of years ago, more personally. Um, in 2017, 
I took the Holy Womb Chakra teachings from Cindy Lindsay, which I'm now getting certified to teach. And she gave a whole different perspective, not different, but amplified and deepened perspective that comes from the late Hindu saint, Swami Sri Kaleshwar. Mm. And that blew my mind and my womb wide open to a totally new understanding of Mary um, as a master of the womb practices. So I was able to unite that information with the information that I found out about divine birth priestesses. And so my first book is about Mary as a divine birth priestess. Um, my next book, the one following that is going to be this amplified discussion of Mary's holy womb chakra practices and Mary as a mentor and minister and model to all of those during the life of Jesus and after the life of Jesus who were in that early Christian retinue. Um, she was really an amazing, amazing priestess, a healer in her own right. And it was her last lifetime on earth. She ascended to full Godhead, goddesshood after that. So these are the, some of the things I'm writing about in the books that will be coming out next year, but I'm talking about them now in the Mother Mary Mystery Teachings, which, you know, you're taking right now, which is um, still enrolling. That's going to enroll indefinitely. And uh, we still have some live classes as of this recording all through the beginning of June. And after that, people can still register and listen back at their leisure to those classes. They are power packed with this material. But this mm. work with Mary for me was not just intellectual. I had to let her remother me. And that's one thing I learned from my friend, Diana Melchizedek, you know, she's like, you can ask Mary to be your mentor. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to ask her to be my mother, right? Hmm. So I started working with her on the realm of meditation, visualizations, feeling held by her, held in her lap, held in her womb. You know, I've taken people through processes of, of getting regestated and rebirthed through the womb of Blessed Mother Mary. Um, and these are very powerful, powerful visualizations to receive um, perfect mothering, okay? Something few of us receive because first of all, the intergenerational trauma that's gone on for thousands of years. And secondly, you know, she was the highest holy being who ever walked the planet. So if you wanna know about mothering, she's the one to go to. Mm. She had a soul mated relationship with her son, Jesus. So. These, you know, I continue to work with Mother Mary now. She's helping me again, like I said earlier, to move into my heart chakra to um, transmute some of the warrior energy that I have and the, the feistiness to, you know, get, a, get information out there for people and, um, and come into love for self and compassion for others because this is part of our global evolution right now. It's part of the global opportunity, what's happening, to move out of the center of will and power and into the center of heart so that we can collectively have this unification with one another and this higher opening to divine consciousness and divine realm. So it's, it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's collective, all right? Mm. Beautiful. That is so powerful. And I'm, I'm just buzzing all over as you're talking about all of that. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to hear 
and I think this will be intriguing to a lot of our listeners, a little bit more about divine birth and divine birth priestesses. Would you mind expanding a little bit more on that? Yes. So, you know, prior to me doing that research on Mary into her suppressed infancy gospel, I did a thorough scouring of all references in the ancient Greek historical and mythological texts to anything having to do with divine conception, rapes of the maidens by gods, you know, these, um, these legends of historical women like Olympia, the mother of Alexander the Great, Perictione, the mother of Plato, Pythias, the mother of Pythagoras, and more. And I, I first started off with a flash of insight that divine birth was something that women really did. And after that flash of insight, I began the um, inductive process of finding evidence to support that in the texts. And then I would find more information in the texts that allowed me to deduce certain other theories and ideas. And what I realized, the very short story, is that divine birth is something, a practice that has been going on on the planet, perhaps since the beginning of the human race, because it is said to be the means by which the seven sisters of the Pleiades, the star seed mothers, gave birth to large portion of humanity. Mm. So, um, there have been priestess practices for thousands and thousands of years of this alternative method of conception that seems to defy biology, but is basically a higher level function of working with your womb mm. um, to engender a divinely born spirit. Because what I found is that it was understood that if you wanted a very high level avatar, you needed to have a virgin birth priestess conceive him or her. And so the purpose was to bring in this high holy being who would help humanity raise its consciousness back up periodically and so forth. So there, there are stories of this, um, the Haudenosaunee in, in Northeastern United States and Canada have their, their peacemaker, the Chalagi or Cherokee have their um, peacemaker who came in this way. And there, there are other stories pretty much in every continent. Den Poitras has done a really interesting book on this called Parthenogenesis, Women's Long Lost Ability to Self-Conceive. And, uh, but I did the real deep background research into ancient Greece. So I found that there were transitions and stages to this divine birth practice where it started out as Parthenogenesis, in other words, self-seeding, self-conception, through a very high means of working with your womb and working with spirit. And then it mutated. First it was daughter bearing only, then the women were bearing males. And then you had this break in the tradition where these male gods, these male entities started coming into the priestesses' divine birth rituals and basically rape seducing them and impregnating them. And this is where you have the impregnation with the heroes like Perseus, Theseus, Alexander, the rapes of the maidens in the Greek traditions and so forth. Those are interrupted divine birth rituals. Um, and some of the women would escape or shapeshift or die 
rather than get impregnated that way. And all of the ancient oracle centers like Dodona and Delphi and, and Delos, they're all filled with the names of maidens and their children who were born in this way. So then um, it degenerated further into women having to have a male surrogate for the god, the king, or the priest. And this is most famously known in ancient Egypt, where it was understood that the pharaohs were born by the queen having sex with the reigning pharaoh, who would incorporate the god into his body and impregnate her. And then the line of pharaohs came out of that. The lineage of the pharaohs came out of that. But there are equivalents in other stories um, including there's some indication that even King Arthur was born this way and so forth. So, um, you know, enter the Virgin Mother Mary and she really, her method of conception goes back to original self-seeding parthenogenesis. She did not have any male actor with her as a part of this. So it's a very high level holy practice. So that's how she would fit in to that whole schema. And then of course, eventually, the ancient um, Greek doctors said that, you know, started saying that it wasn't possible. And then, of course, as Western medicine advanced, it became an impossibility. And so when things, when you're programmed to think things are an impossibility, you put it away and you don't even try it anymore. Um, I think it just went deeply, deeply underground as a practice because I have known of women who have cultivated this practice um, or have had it sort of foisted upon them sort of by the spirit world. And so it hasn't gone dead. It's just gone underground. And so the big question is, you know, what do we do going forward? But thinking of Mary in that context allows thinking people to make sense of her story at long last, like, oh, this isn't just some kind of fake, crazy dogma that we need to believe to justify a religion. Oh, this holy woman actually did bring forth an avatar. And then that whole story then became co-opted and owned by a certain institution. Um, so when we start dissolving all of that institutional dogmatism, and we look back at how Mary fits into these lineages of active divine birth priestesses, it's a remarkable story and it tells us a huge amount about women's own womb power capacity and how that can be reignited for the future of our world. Wow, <laughs> that is fascinating. And listening to that uh, divine birth priestessing really sounds like the highest form of inner alchemy there ever has been. Yes, absolutely, there it is. If you're talking about the cities, S-I-D-D-H-I-S, Siddic practices that men, usually largely men would receive, like the ability to walk on water, walk through walls, dive into ground, not cast shadows, survive on air um, alone, walk distances through the air, you know, these Siddic abilities, divine birth is the highest level Siddic ability, and it's one that is only open to women. Mm. But it is one that has been quite, effectively veiled but mary possessed it her mother possessed it her aunt elizabeth the mother of john the baptist possessed it mm. as well as other women in that cadre going back to sarah the mother of isaac in the mm -hmm. hebrew tradition 
Right. There, there are other stories of miraculous conception in the Hebrew tradition as well. So this is what I'm talking about is taking these little incidental mentions that we've poo-pooed as like, oh, isn't that nice? God had mercy on that old lady and gave her a child. <laughs> and I'm like, this was a long cultivated practice that was open to maidens as well as crones. Wow. And specifically maidens and crones. So women who had just started bleeding and then women who had stopped bleeding. Is there some significance there? Well, the significance is that when you're doing divine birth, you may never start bleeding to begin with. Mm. There's evidence that I found and that I'm writing about in my first book about Mary, Mary and the Art of Miraculous Conception, that they have specialized diets. And these diets were so alkalining and purifying that there was no need for menstruation. Menstruation is a purification. Mm. And so there was, there, the woman was already purified in body, mind, spirit, so she didn't need to menstruate. She was eating lightly, so she didn't need to you know, go through that physical uh, kind of thing once a month. So therefore, maidens and crones become one if there's really no menstruation happening, you see. And that's something that I discovered in researching that, that book, Mary and the Art of Miraculous Conception. I, you know, I would get these insights periodically, and that was one of them. Like, wow, you know, if menstruation never starts, it never ends, and it's never needed anyway. Mm. And so this would explain why these specialized women um, sometimes would conceive in early years and sometimes in later years. Sometimes they may have been trying their whole life is something that I received. They may have been trying their whole life to have the divine child and then it was only achieved in the elder years. Mm. Well, so you see, I, these are great mysteries. When you start unveiling this, I mean, people's crown chakras and third eyes pop way open, not to mention mm -hmm. their wounds. And it's such powerful, powerful information. Absolutely. I mean, I could listen to this for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. And I've taught the divine birth mystery teachings. I've taught, I taught that three years in a row, I believe two or three years. And I have the recordings of all of that. And I'm trying to figure out, I may resurrect them um, in audio form once the Mary material comes out so that people can go back into antiquity and have the background of Athena's divine birth priestesses, Artemis's divine birth priestesses, Hera's divine birth priestesses, the divine birth priestesses of Dodona and Delphi. This is what my very first book, The Cult of Divine Birth in Ancient Greece, is all about. In the second book, Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity, Half of the book is about the Demeter and Persephone mystery as being a parthenogenetic mystery, and that that was the basis of the Eleusinian mysteries. Now, that mm. book has been out a good 10 years, and to, to date, I have not had a serious um, academic in the field of classics come anywhere near it to touch it, to review it, or to critique it. <laughs> wow. You know, they're just like stunned. Uh, you know, stunned into silence. I mean, it, it's such an intricate weaving and argument and, and um, evidence providing that I do in these books that it, it takes attention and time. But I have had people who've read them and just really get it because they're filled with codes of information. 
yeah. and it's all the background that you need to understand Mary. So I call sort of the, the basic headlines of that and I provide them in, a, in an opening chapter in Mary and the Art of Miraculous Conception, the books that's to come, so that people can get the basics, you know, in a, in a boiled down form to understand how to situate Mary in those, in those larger priestesshoods. Wow. <laughs> Thank but, you, you know, Margaret. <laughs> Mary as a divine birth priestess, Mary as a sacred mothering presence for people on the planet, Mary as a mentor to women and men on the spiritual path. Mm -hmm. yeah. You mean Mary as a healer and a teacher of healing. Okay, so she had many components and aspects. If, now that I know, having looked, first of all, I was getting this intuitionally, and then secondly, it was so great to see it validated in these so-called apocryphal gospels about her. Mm. And uh, she is emerging to be a huge powerhouse. I mean, and now finally, with this material and these books, the veil is going to be lifted on Mary the way it was in Magdalene starting 20 and 30 years ago. Mm. Wow. I was going to say about time too, but then at the same time, it probably, it does feel like now is the time. It couldn't now have come any earlier. It couldn't have come any earlier because number one, we needed to reconcile with the Magdalene mm. as the sexual woman. And number two, we needed the information on virgin birth to understand that Mary was not just a sexually repressed individual. She was part of a practice. Mm. Um, and it, I think it's just, we needed whatever the world is going through now in order to be able to open up to Mary with full appreciation because I was planning these, this class in December and then I was letting people know about it in February when all of this, you know, great turmoil was starting and then it the class started on on march 22nd right when we were in the middle of like world shutdowns mm. so suddenly people could actually pay attention to mother mary and um the people who are taking the class are really realizing the depth of this and what it means for them because this is not about worshiping mary mm -hmm. this is about venerating yourself yeah. And, you know, applying, she's just a teacher. She's just a model template for things you could do for yourself in order to achieve and experience that, what I call the incension into mm. fifth dimensional consciousness. She's just wide open available right now. And she's saying, hey, here's some aspects of me that you didn't realize. And now's the time for women to realize these aspects about themselves. Yeah. So going from the image that we've had of, of Mary as someone who had literally no agency, very little power to the most powerful being of all. Most powerful being of all. Wow. So she goes from sort of like passive bystander to her own impregnation, if not a rape victim, hmm. to the orchestrator of the whole entire Christed enterprise. Wow. The orchestrator. Yeah. That resonates okay. so very deeply. 
yeah, it's like time to turn the spotlight on the women. Yeah. Because and not just we, any women, but women who are, sorry, now I'm speaking on top of you because I'm so excited. Please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, women who are, who are doing that, that clearing and that healing and that empowerment. Yes. You can't just be willy-nilly. Absolutely. You know, it's women who are doing the work of awakening, of healing, yeah. of service. Hmm. Wow. Tremendous. It is tremendous. It is, it is earth shaking and earth shattering in many it's ways. Earth shattering to the point where in one of the gospels, one of the suppressed gospels, the gospel of Bartholomew, the male apostles ask her, how did you conceive divinely? And she says, if I spoke this, the world would shudder and split apart. Oh, wow. And she says, what she does is she has these men hold her one at each armpit, one in front of her, one in the back. And she tells this story and the world does start shuddering. And Jesus actually has to come in to like ground and balance everything mm. because the information is so powerful. Wow. And I love the symbology of Jesus coming in, bringing the divine masculine energies to balance it out and bring Absolutely. in. They worked in tandem. Yeah. They were a team. Yeah. They were a mother-son, soul-mated team, mm. masculine and the feminine. And then he had another, you know, with the Magdalene and so forth. Um, so, yeah, there's so much more to the story. Obviously, that's why I really encourage people to take the, the Mother Mary Mystery teachings because I give you everything I've got in that class. Beautiful. And I'm so looking forward to immersing yeah. myself in all of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Margaret, thank you so much for all the information you've given us and, and really whetting our appetites in terms of Mother Mary and the levels of depth that we can really go to with her and the amazing amount of information we can learn from her. So really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. For yourself, for your own growth. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, before we wrap up, Margaret, um, I understand you've also got some free gifts that you would like to share with our listeners. Yes. So one of the major things is the free talk that I give called Meet the True New Mother Mary. It was sort of the like whistle wetter for the class, the Mother Mary Mystery Teachings. And if you go to sevensistersmysteryschool.com, I think you're going to have the link nearby. The seven is written by S-E-V-E-N. You will see on that welcome page, just scroll a little bit and I'll be describing the Mother Mary course. You click onto that and you can enroll right away for that um, free call where I talk about a very dramatic experience that I had with Mother Mary that we have not addressed here, but very personal um, healing experience that is powerful. And also on that Seven Sisters Mystery School homepage, you will see many other free things. If you go under free resources, um, in that drop-down menu, there are many free calls. Um, and then, you know, just poke around the website. There, there are oracle transmissions that I and others have done on some of our oracle pages and just follow your nose, poke around, click to see what's there. I have other free audios and free videos of things that I've done over the years, interviews on various topics. 
So uh, you'll be led to all that through the Seven Sisters Mystery School.com link. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Margaret. And once again, thank you so much for coming onto this podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. Emmy, you're welcome. And thank you so much for, for having me and for doing this amazing work. Mm, thank you. Now, everybody, let's just for a moment focus our awareness and our intention on this earth-shattering energy that we've activated during this call and just taking a deep breath in, imagine sending it to everyone, absolutely everywhere on our planet to remember that we are all truly one and to remember that the more we go within to our hearts and our warm spaces, the more we are birthing a new consciousness on this earth. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here.